0: This is CliffCentral.com
1: Stay informed and up to date It's the Daily Maverick Show Tuesdays
0: 1-2pm to On CliffCentral.com Good afternoon, you're listening to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central As usual, I'm your host for the next hour My name is Kingsley Kipuri Today we'll be talking all things uh, minimum wage in the country It's a really big conversation that's being had um, uh, around the country And I'm I'm joined in studio as usual by my partner in crime, Greg Nicholson Thanks for having me Fantastic, Greg. I know you have all, I know you definitely want, want, want an increase. So you're probably interested in this conversation. That's right. That's
2: all I want to know, whether okay. I'm going to get more money okay. after this conversation. Okay. You need to
0: <laughs> pencil that into the agenda. At what, at what point does Greg get his increase, right? <laughs> I'm joined in the studio by a very, uh, shall I say, illustrious panel, esteemed panel. Uh, first we have Gillard Isaacs, uh, the coordinator of the VITS national minimum wage. Research initiative, Gilad, Welcome
3: to the show. Excellent. Thanks very much for the invitation. Fantastic.
0: It. Fantastic. You're going to be schooling us on on all things NMW today. Yeah,
3: that'll be great. I don't know about Greg's uh, increase. <laughs> I, um, don't don't kill my dream yet, Gilad. I'll just leave. Know, uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see. But I'm I'm hoping, depending on the Daily Maverick rates, that yeah. you're already earning. A, a, you know. A, a decent salary. But we can talk. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> okay. At least that keeps them in the room. Also in studio, we're joined by Bandile Ngidi from Rethink Africa, a youth-led policy research, research initiative. Bandile, welcome to the show. Hi,
4: hi, Kingsley. Thanks for, for having me over Good. on. Good. Not side. too often
0: that you hear the words youth and policy initiative in the same sentence, hey.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh we we thought it's like a really important space to be a part of, you know. So, uh yeah, we are excited. we're doing exciting work and uh be happy to, to
0: speak to you. Okay, fantastic. We just move into your mic just a little bit. We wanna hear you loud and clear. Fantastic. So I mean for me the big question is when I hear the conversation around national minimum wage, it's just an understanding of, of what have we been doing thus far. So Gilad, I love if you could just break down for us what's the current system of determining of determining wages around the country.
3: Excellent, thanks. So there are it it is two main systems. Mm. There is minimum wages set through Collective bargaining, which takes place in collective bargaining councils, um, which is between the unions and uh, employers, and those are then extended to cover the entire sector, um, irrespective of if every business in that sector. Is unionized. Okay. There are then the sectoral determinations which are the government set, um, in sectors which, which have low union density or where they are the vulnerable workers. So in agriculture, in forestry, in domestic work, security guards, uh, and those are the main mechanisms through which minimum wages are set at the moment, and so what that means is, there's a fairly fragmented system mm. with m- many, many, many like different like minima which are set not only in these two systems, but also uh, it is varied geographically. It's varied by the task, um, and it's also varied by the level of employment. So it's one of the most complex systems in africa um of minimum wage setting
0: okay i'm just trying to understand because from from sort of my layman's perspective and bandilia maybe you can jump in on this that 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 sounds very targeted it sounds it sounds almost tailored to specific sectors which i think in in a different field you know would be quite great if somebody could step in and say we understand your sector we understand where you live we understand how skilled you are and this is the appropriate wage given all these factors that sounds like a you know, pretty good system, but I
4: mean, yeah. So, so, so I agree that it's it's that's the intention, right? Yep. And the sort of legislation that informs, like the Labour Relations Act, and uh, the, the the government body that's meant to uh, govern uh, minimum wages, like the the ECC, uh, is is it, the intention is to make sure that all workers are covered. Mm. But the the concept behind a national minimum wage and what the negotiations are. About now is having like a price Floor that covers everybody so Part of the problem with having a, a fragmented System mm. is will lie in like issues Of compliance and enforcement if there are These you know Tons of rates that individual Employees don't know how to apply they don't that The right information and workers themselves Can't access you know are, are Bogged down by the complexity A national minimum wage is like a price floor That is you know protected In law to say that Everyone must earn below this rate, and then other negotiations happen through you know other other means. So that's the point. The point is to say um, because there's so much complexity and fragmentation, we want to make sure that it's a nice, easy, simple. That's part of the reason a nice, easy, simple uh, system that that you know uh, is successful and can be enforced uh, quite
0: mm-hmm. well. Okay, good. out in agreement with that. It's just the complexities maybe bogging things down. A bit.
3: Um, I think that the idea. O- o- of a national minimum wage, which has gained prominence internationally and which is the recommended international labor organization, the best practice Mm. is about also trying to take account of workers' needs. It's, it's, is, it analyzes a economy and needs to look at wage rates which are, um, appropriate in that economic Situation, But it's about trying to understand what is a minimum income which is required for workers to actually live a, a reasonable life. And that doesn't change if you're a domestic worker or a forestry worker or if you're in mining or if you're in any other sector. And I still think that you can have, and the international evidence shows, that one can have the differentiated wage rates above that, okay. which is what collective bargaining is like for, but essentially you need to be able to offer a protective floor under which no worker in the economy is able to fall and an easily implemented and easily enforced floor. And, and, and that's the international logic which, which underpins the idea of a national minimum wage and various other sort of positive consequences which we see around the poverty, inequality, demand in the economy which we can speak to later maybe
0: okay so it's not about really scrapping everything that exists now but saying what is what is the almost the i don't bare minimum is the right word but just a flaw to say nobody regardless of sector or geography or any of these factors will will be earning below this and then is the aim to also have collective bargaining on top of that for union union power and sort of our business groups to still come and agree on top of that
3: absolutely that's what we see, like from the international evidence. I mean, it's it's not really my place as an academic to say that's what things should be, yeah. but um, that is what would make most sense, and that is what we see internationally that c- collective bargaining s- still plays a I- important role in wage settings. Okay, I hear you,
0: and we'll be talking to a representative of business uh, shortly. I think we're just about to get on the line, but I mean, just from our conversation thus far, this sounds very hard to. Oppose. I mean, you're you're saying that, you know, everybody around the country should not earn below this, so that they can they can afford their basic living conditions and and their sort of safety and security and welfare. So, like, why don't we have this already? Well, it's, it sounds sort of. I mean, part yeah. of the problem, and this
4: yeah. is again the, the the international evidence, is that all minimum wage systems, and especially a national minimum wage, must balance two sets of interests. Right. So, your sort of the pressure from below is your. Uh, uh, your workers' needs, what, you know, what cost pressures do workers' households face? Um, you know, how much does it cost? How much does food cost, transport, you know, all the needs that a, a worker will have? But on the other side, you have to balance that with, you know, a complex world economy, like a global economy. So you have to factor in on the other side, like business interests uh the types of businesses you have in the economy uh and also like competitiveness in 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 maybe your tradable sectors and all those type of things so we probably don't have it now in because of that sort of theoretical sweet spot finding we actually do but on the other hand it's also because of you know the state of labor relations in South Africa i mean if you think of marikana if you think of uh our, our apartheid history and the role the the, the sort of almost antagonistic role that has been played uh, between labor and, and, you know, business interests in, in colonial and apartheid South Africa. It's, it's, th- that's the issue. It's sort of that breakdown in, in, you know, who the social partners who determine wages, uh, sort of that conversation and the national minimum wage, if, if it's implemented would be an exercise in that sweet spot finding of saying, how do we balance everyone's interests given, you know, sort of the history of our country? And that's, that's very important to look at. yeah.
3: If I may add, just in terms of how we got where we are now, it really is a legacy of how wages were set under apartheid and how like the establishment of collective bargaining like councils, which took place in the late 70s and 80s. I, I think it's worth just mentioning to listeners, um, just so they get a sense of what these minimum wages are. In domestic work at the moment, it it, it is 2,065 rand um in agriculture it's 2600 rand in security guards and it varies in geography but it's between two, nine and uh, and three, two. so if if you think about that if you think about what it takes to live um as a domestic worker on a salary of 2000 rand yeah. you are just in transport costs you're going to spend a, a quarter up to half um uh, of that, so we're looking at a, a system of minimum wage settings which really are a legacy of the the low wage st- structure from apartheid. The ones I have mentioned now are th- the very lowest. Of course, there are mm. others at mm. three, four, five thousand rand, yeah. um, and some even higher uh, in higher wage sectors. Okay, I mean, thanks for breaking
0: that down, Gilad. I think there's a big difference between a sort of a theoretical conversation and just when you hear the figures, um, um, especially for a lot of maybe middle class people in, in, in urban areas who maybe don't have access to what, what is, what, what are some, some people in these sectors earning? I think it really changes the, the urgency of, of this conversation. Um, if you're just tuning in, you listen to the Daily Maverick, Sean Cliff Central. We're talking about the national minimum wage. We're just about to go through to Vanessa Pala, the executive director of Business Unity South Africa (BUSA). Uh, Vanessa, welcome to the show.
1: Thank
0: you, and good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Um, so, Vanessa, I'm, I mean, as you've been hearing, as you've been sort of on hold there for a bit, we're just discussing the national minimum wage, and a, a big, a big partner in in agreeing on this and and in the conversations on making this happen is business, um, who is unfortunately often portrayed as as the in quotes bad guy who who wants to exploit exploit workers. So we really wanted just to talk to you to get a more sort of nuanced perspective of, of sort of Busa's perspective on this conversation. Um, so if you could just run us through um, um in the conversations that are being had now, what is what is Busa's perspective on, on the national minimum wage?
5: Look, um you recall that I think it was in November last year, the deputy president convened the Labour relations in Dava. And in that in endeavour, um, social partners agreed on the declaration that, amongst others, introduces in principle the principle, the minimum, the minimum wage. So, since November last year, we've been um, engaging at NetLec with all the social partners on the modalities for introducing the national minimum wage. Business um, view right at the beginning was that we already have, um, for example, the sectoral determination that determines wages per sector. And um, that we understand that there might not be substantive compliance with all of the sectoral determinations, mm-hmm. but we believed that through those sectors, you know, each sector or the Employment Condition Commission would be able to determine a wage health sector, either it's farm workers, domestic workers, retail, you know, all the data, I think about 21 sectoral determinations that we have. But nonetheless, we have agreed that we will explore the modality of introducing a national minimum wage, and this is what we are doing. Our biggest issue is that, you know, if you look at our country in terms of unemployment um, rate, in terms of you know, economic growth that is not really doing that well. Um, we, we are concerned that whatever level that we're going to agree to at the end of the day should not have a negative impact on employment, meaning it should not be a level that is too high for employers to afford, which will then, you know, make employment unattractive and could potentially result in, 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 in
0: unemployment. Oh, fantastic. Okay, thanks for the thorough breakdown, Vanessa. So it sounds like you 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 are quite comfortable quite comfortable with the sectoral determination system, uh, but are sort of open to discussing discussing a, a sort of uniform flow. But are worried that this uniform flow, if set too high, might might kill jobs in the market and and, and slow down growth even further.
5: Exactly. Okay. I mean, we've made we've made some progress. We've agreed on what we mean by national minimum wage. Mm-hmm. It will be a floor that is applicable to everybody in the public and the private sector. A floor at which nobody must be paid below. So it, it's a minimum. It's a minimum. You can't pay anybody less than that. So we've agreed on that. We're still going to discuss the mechanisms. For example, for so determining the level, we still need to agree on the level. We still need to agree or discuss further issues around enforcement because that is the biggest issue. You know, we had an international conference where the deputy president invited um, various speakers from countries that have implemented the national minimum wage and where it is working it's either the level is affordable for employers, which means compliance becomes easy, or there is a very good enforcement mechanism that supports the implementation. So those are some of the issues that at NetLet we're still debating and engaging on.
0: Mm, I can imagine compliance would be a big factor on this. Uh, Gilad, yeah. I'd just like to hear from you on that. I imagine the big... The big question when you present sort of some of your work is is if in an economy that's already not creating enough jobs, if we increase the wage bill for all businesses, theoretically, doesn't that slow down the business even further, make goods more expensive and so on?
3: Listen, it's a very important issue and one which we must take seriously. I think what we're putting forward as a research and as an academic project is is to say – we should look at the local and international evidence and there's three crucial things here the first is that in the meta analysis so that is is a compilation of of uh, all studies in in the US UK and uh, elsewhere we see very minimal negative employment impacts we see the same slightly higher but still either very minimal or neutral um, employment in, impacts in developing countries, and we see that both in our own like research, in the research undertaken uh, at UCT, and that's really the international consensus. So we need to think to ourselves, well, why is that? And I think that the story that um, what's really determining employment, right, is output, and what is and and, and, and what impacts that is investment, and what impacts that is the prices, and what impacts that is above all l- labor costs. That seems like a compelling like, narrative, but actually, when you break down and you look at both the theory and the evidence, it's a lot more complex. Um, what determines investment is a whole slew of of things. E- everything from our telephone costs, which is, is a cost... That, Pressure, but also things um, like uh, our our it- industrial like clusters, interest rates, um, our uh, uh, our infrastructure, uh, corruption, etc. So, what determines investment is a, is a complex range of issues, and what determines output is also. Uh, b- Demand in the economy. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, and 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 increased wages can have and has been shown to have a positive impact in terms of people's purchasing power. Um, so this relatively simple s- s- story, which we hear, which is that labour costs are the defining feature around investment and output, is is not entirely accurate. It is a issue. But it's not one which we should place as the central feature. And really what we need to do is unpack and understand the role of labor costs. And what the international and local evidence shows is that overwhelmingly minimum wages do not have negative employment I- impacts. A part of that, as Vanessa like, rightly like, like says, uh, is about finding the appropriate
0: level. Okay, I'm. Um, um, uh, Vanessa, is that, is that the feeling you're getting from the business unity side? Is there a, uh, an openness to this, to this alternate, alternate theory that sort of business competitiveness and is, is more complex than just looking at labor costs and perhaps in moving around the other factors of production, the, mm. the businesses could absorb an, uh, an increase in, in, in their wage bill in some sectors?
5: Mm. Uh, Look, I mean, that's correct. That's why we even had, you know, international speakers to come and share with us their insights. And from the presentations that we had, there was very little... Um, uh, impact in terms of the national minimum wage on employment, and, and hence we are still even waiting for our own research. Remember, the deputy president even said it at the end of the conference that you know we, we acknowledge and we, we appreciate the input, but we're going to do it the African way. And the African way will not only have to consider unemployment, but we have to consider um, inequality, to also, to also consider poverty, which means you know minimum wage might not necessarily be the only intervention that is required to deal with all these triple challenges that we are facing, and hence that we need to further investigate other alternatives. But it is true that in countries that have implemented minimum wage, there has not been a direct impact of the introduction of minimum wage to job losses. But, I mean, we're still waiting for research that has been done by DPRU, uh, which is uh, the policy unit in the University of Cape Town, hmm. to, 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 to demonstrate, you know, the, 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 the distinctive, unique South African results uh, uh, or findings or possible insights we you know that it relates to our own context. And for me, that is the most important that we need to consider. Countries that have implemented minimum wage are at a different social, socioeconomic context to South Africa. And I know there are some colleagues who like to refer to the Brazilian model. Mm. If you look at the Brazilian model, the minimum wage was introduced with other measures. It was... It, comprehensive package. If you look at Germany they took ten years discussing before they could implement because they needed to take into consideration their own situation. And in South Africa it should be the same thing. We should have you know a comprehensive picture of, of, of what our issues are and what are the likely um uh you know consequences and how do we address or mitigate those consequences. Because our own uh, uh you know issue for business is that we do not want to have a further dent on employment, we do not want to have a further dent on the ability of enterprise sustainability because you do need these enterprises in order to create more jobs. In order for us to realize the national development plan goals, we need to start building and supporting our enterprises. So all the interventions that we are putting in place going forward should not, you know, take us backward in terms of achieving the NDP goals.
0: I mean I hear you, Vanessa, it sounds like we're all on the same page in terms of uh, in terms of implementing the wage and that and that business could respond positively to the, to it and to into a, a price flow for wages that will will not kill business and competitiveness. So it sounds like it's like we're on the same page.
3: It's the million-dollar question of how much of how much, right? And I'm, I'm hoping we can do yeah. that in the next
0: 33 minutes. We'll have a wage. Sorry, Bandila, you wanted to jump in. So, so what I wanted to say
4: though yeah. is, uh, as she's mentioned, you know, this process of deliberation. Um, it's I think it's important for us to 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 have a, a sort of the right type of thinking about our economy. I mean, and I, I, I suspect that you know, in trying to find. What the right measure is, you know, there's very complex calculations, but we, we we need to understand social context, and I think it's important that we'll be considering indicators like you know inflation and economic growth and competitiveness and exports, you know, your your core economic indicators, but I think there there really is something to be said about considering the the, the social, so levels of poverty and you know sort of our political goals, the goals entrenched in the in the constitution, and I think by by no means should uh, a national minimum wage simply Look at you know only these economic indicators, or at least the discussions on national trade should only look at these economic indicators because that's the economy is just uh, uh, one part of the the greater social context so uh, as is mentioned you know the, the Brazilian context you know a, a, a comprehensive package, you look at you know um, what economic policies do you need to change to reverse very long-standing and deep uh, historical inequality mm. and you make sure that the quality of life you you, you you provide is a deep robust one you know one that facilitates you know democratic engagement that really provides education provides you know for cultural upliftment of of, of poor people because if you look at a level you might have you know the they say sort of poverty lines which are around 900 rand per month but those can those are very like Subsistence-based; they're very based on can you know how much do people need to meet their bare sort of physiological food needs, educate uh, transport needs, and you know household needs. But in considering this, there must be a very long-term perspective given and a more robust sort of understanding of saying, in the future, as a young person, and this is maybe my perspective, I go, I don't want, I wouldn't want like a policy like this to be narrowly focused on mere economic factors at once. Sort of, and this is part of the, the further thinking In national minimum wage, to be like Does it fundamentally change the society That we're in, and the view is that It can't, all by its own Then we also need to have conversations on what are these Other broader policies that will make sure that When I'm in ra- around in 30-40 years I'm living in a fundamentally different uh, 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 South Africa that is not The highest in terms of inequality and poverty
0: Absolutely. I mean, you're right about how crucial context is. And, I mean, that reminds me of a lot of the, the things, Vanessa, you've been saying. Um, and we're going to just let you go now. But thank you so much for coming on air. And and it sounds like you're really coming from a place of good faith and, and really being willing to make sure we can we can figure this thing out as a country. Thank you so much. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, I mean, you mentioned Gilad and you did too, Bandile. Like it's, it sounds like people are sort of on the same page in the same direction, but the question is how do we...
2: Well, is that true? I was just well, wondering, so yep. we had one representative from yep. business, um, from Busa, but have you seen the same, uh, response where people are willing to engage and then sort of work out the finer details as this process goes on from the, from, from, from the private sector and the business side? I know the free market foundation seems quite critical of the idea of
3: a national minimum wage. I think that there's, st- I'm not involved as a negotiator mm. in this process, um, obviously, um, my impression is that there's serious engagement from people who are involved. So, like within Nedlac, there's serious engagement going on, um, and Vanessa's approach, uh, which was clear that you know that there's an acceptance of the evidence, and we can engage about whether or not the the Latin American experience is actually a- applicable, and we can I- engage with some of the issues which like she's raised um yeah. and and that's a business perspective which i think is appropriate and respectable etc there are uh, people um on like the right wing and conservative economists um uh, in particular um you know those involved in in institutions whose main ad- agenda is to offer a propagandistic Viewed to uh, uh, advanced views, which are in favour of the the business sector, and in my own engagement with 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 uh, those organisations and individuals, there doesn't seem to be a willingness to engage in evidence-based research and to really say, um, you know, these are what's out there, and let's learn. It's a blanket. Rejection based on this conspiratorial notion that this is all about the employed and the employed, um, trying to ex, to exclude the, uh, the unemployed and it's a labor aristocracy and it's a special interest oh. and it's going to be devastating for the economy. And in fact, on public like platforms when I've, uh, engaged on these issues, there's been not only um, a misrepresentation, but at times a complete fabrication um, of the evidence. So there certainly are groups out, out there and individuals are out there um, who are not engaging in an evidence-based uh, approach. And in general, the economics profession um, is a conservative one. And of course there are oh. economists out there who are engaging on an evidence-based uh, approach. And that's... Th- the, that's most oh. um, but often we hear like certain voices loudly um, uh, and 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 often what we're hearing from them is a distortion
2: it's always interesting when big capital is the one who steps up trying to fight for the poor unemployed rather than the poor worker and they they put the poor workers views on the side of oh no they're just trying to keep all the jobs whereas big capital knows what's best for those unemployed. I just find it quite an interesting argument Because this always comes up that, that all these the the big sort of private um capitalist institutions and their and their think tanks always seem to claim to be the ones who speak best for the unemployed. Yeah. I mean and and I think it's important to move away from that type of dichotomy between
4: uh you know poor workers versus poor unemployed. Because people people live in you know in households they live in, mm. in integrated ways, especially like in, in South Africa. If you consider how high our rates of sort of migration. That's sort of been a a, a long term feature of South African economic life, that people go away and go find jobs but they remit their, their money back to their households. Uh they survive through complex, you know, extended social networks. Um, you know, we have we've heard you know previous discussions of like black tax and stuff like that. People live in these integrated ways such that unemployed people will benefit from so if you marry this one insight that um, in minimum wages don't necessarily kill jobs. You'll, you'll find that it's the case then that, well, if there's a, a worker who supports a household and maybe an extended household, they, the, the poor unemployed people will benefit. Mm. And the knock on effects are actually quite cool. Um, if you look at the, the, the impact that social grants play, uh, there's this sort of the English is evading me, but this, this, this co sort of dependency that people have such that if there's more money in a household, it's easier for people, like baseline needs to be, to be met. And the consequence is that it's, it's easier for people to travel and to, to, to cut down the costs of job search. So this integration between mm-hmm. households, uh, when, you know, someone in the household is bringing money back, it'll be easier for other people to, to, to cut those like tra- things like transport costs and things like food costs to be like, well, uh, we're overall more well off as a household and extended household. And so there are those sort of positive dividends that may, that usually don't make it into, you know, sort of hardcore statistical, mm-hmm. uh, uh, economic analysis of, of these
3: type of issues. Okay. Uh, just to respond, Greg, I mean, to be honest, and, uh, it's, it, it's sheer propaganda. Um, what, what the like business think tanks, um, and, the propagandists are advocating for is a low wage e- economy, and that mm-hmm. low wage economy is one which they advocate because it's one in which they think they will like be like most profitable mm-hmm. um it's not because and there's serious like business like, people out there who are like like Vanessa uh trying to be grappling with a like complex like nuance uh issue, but there' are also those out there who are advancing a l- l- low wage e- Economy, because it's seen it's seen incorrectly, I think, as the uh, as a profitable strategy. Um, I, I think that it is quite possible to have a thriving business like sector in South Africa uh, at a higher wage structure, um, but it's an attempt to maintain uh, an apartheid low wage like structure, mm-hmm. a- and and it's just couched in different terms.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, thanks for. I like, I like that you are just not afraid to call it propaganda when it really is, right? Call us paid or spade. A spade. Um, we're just about to speak to Matthew Parks from from Kosatsu. Now that we're talking about the uh, the worker aspect of things, uh, Matthew, are you on the line? Uh, hi, hello. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, great. So Mati, um you just joined us. We're talking about the national minimum wage and, and we, we've spoken a bit about the, the, the worker side of things and we'd we'd love to hear mm-hmm. uh, from you on behalf of Kosatu, sort of your perspective on the on the conversation and negotiations that, that are happening right now around around the minimum wage.
1: Sure. Um yes no the negotiations are going quite well at NetLAC. Um they're quite in depth and so on. But there's still quite a lot of work that'll be done. Um but we are optimistic that towards the end of the year, we should reach some kind of conclusion around it. But even then, it will just the beginning of a new journey for South Africa. Um, I think for Kusata, this is quite a key and fundamental battle. Mm. Um, we feel that since 1994, we've not been able to transform the apartheid legacy labor market in the country, where the majority of workers earn far below what is estimated you need to, to earn to... To live a life free of poverty, and uh, now we see wage increases which are far below inflation or too low, and we view this as one way of uh, overcoming poverty and inequality in our country.
0: I mean, I hear you it is such a such, such a crucial part of, of sort of our national challenges. Um, I mean, Maji, what do you think of some of the relation between the conversations having happening now and some of the internal issues that Kosato has been having over the happening having, sorry, but having over the past year, um, is Kosato able to still sort of represent represent their members and come to this this negotiation despite some of the internal issues that it's facing?
1: Yeah, no, no, sure. Look, any organization which is composed to human beings will always have its ups and downs. Yep. Um, that's the nature of life. But the fact is, Kosato represents more than two-thirds of unionized workers in the country um, across the industrial, the private, and the public sectors. And the majority of workers, both within unions and outside of unions, are keen to have a living, decent national minimum wage. Um, of course, it's up to, to lead that fight as the largest federation in the country, and in fact, on the continent. And I must say we are quite pleased by the support we have received from government, in particular the Deputy President and the President, as well as the ANC as a whole, towards achieving this uh, huge target for the country.
2: Now, Matthew... The question that seems to be now, there seems to be a lot of different, um, parties on different sides of, of the debate who are willing to, uh, potentially agree to a national minimum wage. But what national minimum wage would Casatu propose? Isn't that the big question? And, and, and what would you put forward?
1: Yeah. Sure. Look at those, those kind of technical details are still kind of being dealt with at NetLec. And that, yeah, you're right. It's a very complicated issue because what might make sense in one industry might not make sense in the other industry. I think for us, we've taken note and inspiration from the examples in the United States, Germany, Britain, Brazil, um, to have one simple national minimum wage which is binding across the economy. So it's very clear, everybody understands it, and so on. But of course, we wouldn't want to see that other wages being pushed down towards it. I mean, those industries Mm -hmm. which which are ahead of it must still remain and move, but at least one basic minimum wage level. We haven't really come to figures yet, but if you look at some of the figures from Stats SA and other academics, they'll show that on average each person needs about a thousand rand a month to survive. And if you have an average family of about five five members in the family, that means you would need at least about five thousand rand to ensure your family isn't overcome by poverty. I think that for us is the key kind of political basis that to have a minimum wage which lifts people out of poverty and transforms the economy in that way.
2: But that would seem, I'd imagine my, many people in the business sector would say that jumping, that would be quite a large wage jump for a lot of, for a lot of workers and they couldn't afford it. So what's, what's your response to that?
1: Yeah, look, this is always cries about the labour laws in the country. Um, but in all the labour laws in the country, there are always exemptions for those businesses which okay. can prove that they're not able to meet whatever requirement is there for them and they have to generally be able to prove it. It can't just be because I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, if, if countries like the U.S. and Germany can, can manage this, and surely we can too, um, we've seen how the minimum wage has helped to lift people out of poverty in Brazil. It's helped to reduce um, inequality and poverty levels. And by putting more cash into people's pockets, they're able to spend more in the local economy, which then spurs local economic growth. Mm-hmm. And that has helped to, in fact, to cut unemployment by half in Brazil within five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, if you take a, if you take a businessman, he will always complain to you that he can't afford to pay five rand or ten rand. Um, we're not saying bankrupt businesses, but it must be a decent, fair minimum wage, a living wage. And if you look at some of the the worst examples in the mining sector, whenever unions negotiate for a decent increase, where workers earn about five thousand, six thousand a month. The bosses say, no, we can't afford it. And then they promptly then go and retrench thousands of workers, no matter how high the gold price is or the platinum prices. But then you'll see the annual report, those very same bosses give themselves 50 million rand, 70 million rand in wages and, and, and performance bonuses. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the, the mining sector. If you look at APSA, your CEO makes 24 million rand a year. MTN, Vodacom. And those very same businesses then go and retrench thousands of workers unashamedly. Mm-hmm. The CEO of tel- Telco making millions of rand a year and then going and retrenching ha- a quarter of the workforce. So there's a, there's a, there's a massive level of hip- hypocrisy and uh, immorality on that issue. Mm-hmm. Surely we should be saying everybody should be paid enough so they can physically survive. Put food on the table, put kids to the school.
2: Mm. And and it seems a lot more people are coming to sort of uh, be open to this argument of of a national minimum wage, so that people can live above the poverty line. But what I'd like to know, Matthew, is that Kasatu has been a, a huge force in South Africa for a very long time. You're in alliance with the ANC and SACP. How come it's taken so long for for the national minimum wage to get to to progress? Well,
1: sure, sure. I mean, we'd love everything to be done quickly, but any struggle takes time. <laughs> Um, the fact that it took South Africa, you know, 90 years, the struggle from the agency's founding in 1912, shows that things take time. And we would love mm-hmm. it to have been done immediately, um, but we're not naive that nothing happens without a, without a fight, without a push. Um, I think for us, the key thing is, as long as we are moving forward and we are uplifting our people and so on, um, yes, we could say it's an indictment upon, the entire, upon all of us that we have not moved faster. But still, as long as we keep moving forward, and I think we're quite optimistic that we'll be having a breakthrough mm-hmm. towards the end of the, this year on this huge issue, um, you know, towards becoming a modern, prosperous society.
2: Mm-hmm. And and you're saying you're quite confident. Is It seems sort of like what we've heard is that a national minimum wage is almost a certainty. Am I reading the situation correctly?
1: Yeah, no, you're 100% correct. In fact, the President, the Deputy President, have said it's not a question of of if, it's a question of when. Um in fact, the uh, has been mandated by the president that when the president opens parliament next year in February, things should be ready. You know, all systems should be set for, for implementation. So we're quite pleased with the amount of progress we've had in a in a fairly short space of time. Because this, this issue was um, highlighted in the ANC's manifesto for the last elections, mm. which was last year. So we think within a year or two years of that elections, we should make this big ba-
0: breakthrough. Okay, fantastic Matthew. Thank you so much. We do look forward to uh, to a country when everybody is learning a, is earning a decent wage. so thank you, and we look forward to hearing the success of these of these conversations okay thanks
1: very much fantastic.
0: Cheers. um Gillard and Bandida, i'd like to come back to you um so a lot a lot of this conversation seems to come back to this this Brazil example as a as a as a reference point for this could you Could you walk us through? sort of what exactly happened there and where, where 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 does the comparison sort of give lessons for us and where where maybe does the case study not, not quite work with, with what we're trying to do in South Africa?
3: Okay, thanks. Yes, it's an important issue, I think. Um, and there's a number of international studies which we must look to. Um, in Brazil, there was a, a rapid increase in the minimum wage from the late 90s, but mainly from 2002 sort of onwards. Um and it was done under the Lula government, um, and it was done, uh, in conjunction with a range of other social policies. In particular, the expansion of social grants, um, and, um, and other social measures. And what we see is a rapid decline in both poverty and inequality, whilst from 2003 onwards, there is a very significant increase in the national like minimum wage. What we also see is actually a um a growth in uh employment. Um so you've got a like minimum wage like rising and you've got employment like rising and you've got like poverty and inequality which it which is which is decreasing. I think an important thing to note is that this is not a Brazilian only example. You see this in Uruguay, in Peru in in Ecuador um, and to a lesser extent in one or two other and this is just from a small sample of the Latin American countries which we're analyzing um one of the differences which you asked about is that the economic like context of that era it was different yeah. it, it, it was during mm. a period of robust economic like growth in, uh, in Brazil and it was during a period of, of Commodity dealer price booms, um, which buoyed the e- e- economy. Um, but even subsequently, uh, these trends, which I've mentioned, increasing like minimum wages um, and the decline in poverty, inequality, and u- u- unemployment, it's continued. Um, so we must take uh, cognizance of these differences, but I don't think that these differences rule out that there's issues to be, be learned here. The last thing I would add is that the expansion of the social grants played a very important role, but the most expansive of social grants was pensions, and pensions were actually tied to the level of a national minimum wage, so even the impact of the expansion of a social social grant like program uh, was linked. And some of the studies estimate that around two thirds of the inequality uh, of the like, reduction in, in, in inequality was based on the increase in national minimum wages. Can I? Yes, yeah,
0: Madila,
4: please, yeah. please. So, so I mean, uh, around that question uh, of of, you know, what's different in the same part of you know South Africa's economy is is the fact that we're not we're not a very diversified economy. So our strongest sectors, like we've got to focus on certain sectors, uh, and they're very very high skilled sectors. So your sectors that have grown in the last you know couple of decades include like financial services and other services uh, industries. So very skilled. They very, yeah, very skilled, very skilled, mm-hmm. and so we're not growing because. Although it's, it's sort of weird because we say that there's a skills shortage, but it's also the case that, you know, what's somebody unemployed graduates? So it's, 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 we mustn't, in, in, you know, people arguing against the national minimum wage, mm-hmm. saying that, well, shouting, ah, it's a different context, it's a different country, we're not a Latin American country. Uh, we must have that creativity and that long-term view to be like, well, how do we unravel the way, uh, and essentially a colonial economy, um, how do we unravel that and and make sure that we benefit from you know beneficiation? Uh, mm-hmm. How it, that being us making sure that we 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 participate high up in, in the levels of um, you know processing our minerals? How do we make sure that you know another catchy term is you know black industrialists? How do we make sure we get that sort of investment up to 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 oh, improving entrepreneurship? All these mm-hmm. type of things. Uh, it's the case that we mustn't be myopic. We must look at. Global policies. uh One of my favorite books, you know, Ha Jin Chang's um, uh, "Bad Samaritans," which talks about how, you know, if you under a certain economic paradigm, you will have the snapshot of this economy, and you'll think you're locked into that. But if you look at how the Asian tigers grew, if you look at how other other sort of economies grew, it's it's the case that there was this bravery, I'd say, or what this thing we call political will, this bravery to say, well, look, going to take a long term view, there might be sort of micro uh, a, a negative effects, but we need to push on and make sure that in South Africa's case, we push on. And we make the, the 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 South African economy more desert, diversified, and and so the Brazilian case will say, well, even if you want to draw limited conclusions from the Brazilian case, which I don't think you should, you can say that you it's sustainable. At least it is co-sustainable to have high minimum wages that are growing, uh, while the economy is booming itself. And how we do that is is not just going to take. Analysis uh, Of the current situation We're in It's going to mm. take This broad level Thinking of saying How do we improve Our industrialization How do we uh, You know Another catchy term uh, Africa's opening up For business oh, you know, yeah. So African consumers And whatever Whatever Aren't you sick <laughs> of Africans just being consumers Don't you want Africans To be makers of things And doers of things mm. And it's this sort of Vision of saying Cool, Uh, and and there's someone who's a young person Who wants to, you know, hopefully Wants to be around for a long time It's this sort of thing to say, how do we break away from The the very saddening and very stressful sort of Conditions,
2: depressed conditions that we're in in the African economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you guys have a whole. I don't, no one can see this, but these guys have a whole bunch of sheets all over the table. I think they're the most prepared guests we've ever had in studio. Don't you yeah, think? King?
0: Absolutely. It looks like the war room. Like, am right. picturing like West Wing in those shows. I'm just <laughs> waiting for
2: for for stats to just be thrown out at us. But I'm wondering. We asked this to Kasatu. Do you guys have a, a recommended national minimum wage, or what? What sort of boundaries are we talking about? And then, ha- have you made any sort of analyses? As to what impact that might have on on inequality and poverty. Okay, thanks,
3: Greg. Um, from the VIT side, you know we're not going to be putting forward a figure. You know, it's hmm. it's not our role. Um, what we are doing is trying to understand relevant contextual factors. Um, one contextual factor which we just which we are releasing uh, in two weeks' time is is a study which we've done on a working poor. Um, so what, Matthew Parks is correct in the sense that you can look at a family of, uh, of five or of four, um, but what we also need to be aware of is that uh, not all household income is w- wage income, there's income from the social grants, etc. And what we've done is looked at a poverty line which is a new one which is around 1,300 in 2015 terms which was done at UCT and we've worked out what is the income which a of the wage income which a poor person needs to feed them Mm -hmm. and not only the people who live in their house but Mm -hmm. the Dependents like which they have, which 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 are which are like those who live elsewhere or in other households, and what we come up with is that the figure of around 4,200. Um, and four thousand two hundred, and um, four thousand two hundred is what's needed to not be a working poor, that you can su- support yourself and and three others, which is the average number of. Dependence of a poor worker. And so, I mean, that's one contextual example, right? Um, We've looking also at the wage trends, okay? So, how many workers earn under X, right? Okay? Um, The median wage is around 3,000, 3,500, which means that 50% per- of the workers earn under that. We're also looking at international uh, examples to say that um, international th- studies tie a minimum wage to a percentage of the average wage. So if we like, did that, like what levels like, would that be? And so we're putting forward these various levels. And those levels, generally speaking, come out in the sort of Three and a half to five and a half thousand range in terms of these various indicators which are international best practice etc, but you know it's it 's not really our place as an as an as an academic institute to be saying we think the minimum wage should be x y or, or z as someone who's not in this <laughs>
4: tied down by that sort of thing i think we 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 like uh, at rethink africa we we believe in sort of also making sure this debate will include, uh, the, the concept of a living wage. So there's a minimum wage, which is, as I mentioned before, like this, this, uh, floor of your basic subsistence. But if you think about the long-term effects of poverty, the long-term social effects of poverty, social cohesion and things like that, uh, our aim shouldn't only be in terms of uh, minimum wage it should be a long-term sort of how do you make sure that people have adu- adequate e- education and can participate, you know, uh, me- like sort of meaningful lives. Uh, and so the conversation mustn't stop, especially in, 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 in mm. how it's structured by the, the decision makers at sort of saying we're going to set this level and just keep updating it, keep updating it, you know, according to inflation or whatever the case might be. It must be sort of a long-term approach to say in the medium term, in 10 years, uh, we want this number of people to, you know, sort of, out of poverty, or the NDP has has its deadline of saying we're going to kill all poverty um, and reduce inequality, but it's it's the case that your conception of poverty, of 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 what is a decent. Uh, uh, uh,
3: living standard must be must be factored into into the analysis.
0: Absolutely, I think that's what really it, it comes down to. Sorry, Gilard, you're about to jump in there.
3: No, I was just going to um, give a like final like response, which yes. is that we're also doing uh, a statistical modelling exercise, which will look at the impact on employment output, but also poverty and inequality. And I think in the South African case, it's important to emphasise that the international examples show. Uh, a positive impact on uh, decreasing both poverty and I- inequality, uh, which of course is two of the key like variables which yeah. are which are analysed um, in South Africa. Um, so, so yeah, our, our 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 aim here is to feed in uh, evidence based into like this conversation.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to: is do we have the numbers, you know, to support some of the claims and conversations that we're having. Glad and Bandila, thank you so much for for making time and coming through to talk to us. I'm Greg, as always. Thank you for for being here and Thanks, of course for Tima. I'd just
2: like to say as well, and I've learned these issues is bigger than me and my own wage <laughs> issues. So I hope every all the listeners out there can feel the same.
0: I think that's what this is all about, really, just to put just to see where Greg fits into all of this.
3: <laughs> At least we've made some impact. Huh? You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one right. down. Another one, fifty million yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: And of course, Fatima, who's been behind the scenes today, who's been working her magic on on, on Twitter. So please, please follow us on at dm shows um, and you
3: can follow us on at sa underscore nmw, and you can
4: follow us at at rethink underscore africa.
3: Fantastic, a lot going on. Greg wants to
0: jump in. He's at Greg news <laughs> <There you go. laughs> no, But really, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming through, and and please continue to engage with us on the podcast and share with um share it with your friends and and, and everybody around. I think. Yeah, it's important not to lose what this is all about, which is what Bandile mentioned at the end, is trying to get trying to get people to be able to live a decent life. I mean, it's, it's academic conversations and it's, it's numbers and back and forth. And at the end of the day, we want every South African to be able to, to live a happy and healthy life and feed their children and, and live ideally a better life for their children than they had, especially given the, the context of, of apartheid in South Africa. So please, let's keep engaging, and, and hopefully we can realize that you know, sooner rather than later.
3: Excellent. Thanks very Thank much. Excellent. We will definitely link... To this on our website that will be up from Friday, which is www.nationalminimumwage.co.za. Fantastic. Join us next week, same time, same place.
1: Stay informed and up to date. It's
0: the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on CliffCentral.com. This is CliffCentral.com.